Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 if you think back with me and you remember last week we began this series in the book of daniel and if you think through this and you can go back you can read some of these verses and i actually encourage you to read some of these verses read jeremiah chapter 25 you'll see how the prophet jeremiah he actually prophesied he foretold that an invasion would happen and that the people of of judah would be taken captive for 70 years he said it was going to happen and now it's happened right read jeremiah chapter 29 read about how god will promise that even though you're going to be taken captive i'm still going to be working in your midst and the story isn't over just yet Right, but here's what has happened. The Babylonians have invaded Judah. They've taken the brightest, the youngest, the strongest, the most handsome, those of regal birth. They've taken them captive. They've taken them back to Babylon in order to reprogram them of sorts. They've enlisted them into a, a training, a three-year education of all things Babylonian. Babylonian culture, Babylonian religion, Babylonian language and arts and literature. They're trying to saturate their minds with all things Babylon. Now, if you recall last week, Pastor Walter mentioned this, that Babylon, in this sense, is a type of the world. For you and for me, Babylon is a type of the world. And what we're going to see this week is how Daniel is going to live a life of purpose. If you're taking notes, I want you to take out your outline, and I want you to write that down. Daniel lived a life of purpose. Yes, he was taken captive. We looked at last week how Nebuchadnezzar took them and the chief of eunuchs, uh, kind of Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man, he, the one who was overseeing his household, overseeing his slaves, he took these four young Hebrew boys who had good, strong Hebrew names, good, strong Hebrew names, I might add, that gave and lent themselves to the glory of God. They all reflected God's glory with their names. And he robbed them of those names and replaced those names with Babylonian names, names that gave glory to Babylonian gods, trying to rob them not of just their name, but in essence, he's trying to rob them of their identity and of their culture. Now here's where this is a problematic for you and for me because if Babylon is a type of the world, you understand that if you put yourself into this story, then that what is happening to you today is that the world in which you live, the culture in which you live is trying to rob you of your identity in Christ. It's trying to take that from you, trying to, to convince you that you aren't who God says you are. And I want you to take note of this, that it doesn't happen primarily on a field of battle. There are not tanks, there are not helicopters, there's not weaponry. What does uh, Nebuchadnezzar do? He robs the culture of the brightest minds and wants to twist those minds. It happens not on a battlefield, it happens in a classroom. If that doesn't 
alarm you. I do not know what will. Because look at your culture today. Look at the world in which you live today. Is this not exactly what is happening in our culture? Are the brightest, the strongest, the ones with the most potential, are their minds not being twisted? Are they not being perverted? Now, let's look just for a moment at the religion of evolution. And I call it a religion because of this. Because if it is truly science, the definition of science is that which can be observed and tested or experimented in order to prove in the natural and observable world. Can you actually observe evolution taking place? No. They're looking for the missing link even to this day. Right? But you send your children to school, you send your children eventually to college, and their minds become corrupted. Why? What is the doctrine, the religion of evolution, what is it doing? It's trying to rob your children of their identity in Christ. If those teachings, if that doctrine can convince you that you're not made in the image of God, that you're not created in the image of God according to his glory, then it can convince you of anything. It robs you of your identity. Again, the scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you're made in the image of the invincible God. That he had a thought in his mind and he worked that out and you are the result of that thought. That you are the result of that creativity. That he took you from the dust of the ground. He breathed into that dust and created man from nothing or from dust. Right? Now, if that can be taken from you, then what other things can be called into question? Do you understand that if that is gone, you're on sinking sand? You're on a, a very uh, suspect foundation? If you're not made in the in image of God, then can you trust the Bible that there really is a hell? You realize that, that Jesus talked about hell almost more than anything, right? And if you question whether or not you're really made in the image of God and according to his likeness, then, then can I really trust the Bible when it says that there's a hell? Is there really a place where people will be judged for eternity based upon whether or not they confess Christ as Savior? Is there really a place like that? And if there isn't a place like that, then do I really need to worry at all? This is the strain of thought, right? This is the reasoning, right? This is why it's so important that you hold on to, that we, we make sure that our children hold on to their identity, that they understand who they are. How about this? How about sin? If, if I can't trust the Bible for who I'm created in the image of, if I can't trust the Bible for things like hell, then why should I trust the Bible when it teaches on sin? Who should decide what's right and wrong? Who should decide what's true and what is untrue, what is real and what is unreal? Who does that? Who, who's, who has the ability to do that? Is there really even absolute truth? Is there really even sin? Or do we get to decide on our own what's right and wrong and what pleases us and doesn't please us? And here's the thing. If, if there's really no standard by which we're measured, then does it really even matter at all? How about salvation? Again, if your identity, if who you are at your core is called into question, then things like hell and things like sin and things like salvation don't really matter, do they? When the Bible teaches that salvation is by grace through faith alone, that our works cannot save us, that it doesn't matter how hard we try, how many Bible verses we memorize, how much money we give to this ministry or that charity or this church, if none of those things matter when it comes to our salvation, then, then, then what's the point, right? So, so do we really need to trust the Bible that there's only one way to be saved? Do we really need to trust the Bible when Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him? Can you trust that for can you trust Jesus if you can't trust the rest? Do you understand what I'm saying? You realize it takes as much faith to believe 
that God created everything you see from nothing as it does to believe that all of this was formed from some sort of primordial foam, right? And if the world, if the culture, if what you're, the place you're living in can convince you that you are formed from slime or from foam and that you aren't created in the image of God, it calls into question the entire Bible. I love looking at the life of Daniel because if there's someone I want my life to emulate, I think it would be Daniel. Because here's a man who's taken from his land, taken from his parents, taken from his culture, brought into a foreign place, a strange land, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to allow the culture around me to rob me of my identity, what I know to be true, and who God says that I am. Who does God say you are this morning? See, his identity was in what God says about him, not what Nebuchadnezzar says, or the chief of the eunuchs say, or any teacher or instructor in any of those classes. My worry with the church today is that we find our value in so many things other than Jesus. Some of you this morning came in here this morning and you find your value and your worth in what you do, in your vocation. And you understand this, don't you, that, that something could happen in your life and that vocation could be taken from you in a blink of an eye. And then where is your value? If that was your value, now what are you worth? I have no more job. I have no, those of you who come to the point in your life where you're able to retire, I know it's difficult because you check in every day. You have the same routine for year after year, decade after decade. And all of a sudden you don't have that anymore. And if you find your value and your worth and if your identity is tied to what you do and that is taken away, you're lost. But... If my identity and my value and my worth is tied to what Jesus has done for me, no one can take that. Some of you walked in here this morning and you found your identity not maybe in what you do, but what you know. For some of you, education has become your God. And you feel like the more classes, the more educated you are, the more initials that are after your name, or whatever the case might be, that the more worth you have. But again, that can be taken from you. Some of you, maybe it's not what you, what you know, but it's who you know. How connected you are in the community. How many people know your name? How many people come to you for help or for assistance or with questions? It's your popularity. Some of you maybe are, are not concerned with what you do or, or what you know or who you know, but what you own. Those things have really taken hold of your heart and they've captivated you. And your value and your worth is tied to what you own. How many square feet are in your house? How many vehicles are in your garage? How many toys you have in the toy hauler? If that defines you, if that's where you find your identity, if that is what you get your worth from, you are on shaky ground sinking sand. Those of you who are in Christ this morning, you'll know, and you should have this assurance that no matter what happens in your life, you can take my job, you can take my friends, you can take my diplomas, you can take my, my worldly possessions, but you cannot take Jesus from me. Amen. Amen. You can clap for that. <laughs> Daniel and his companions, what we're going to see here in this text that we're going to read together now, is that they're going to become determined to not allow Babylon to not allow the world to change what they know of themselves and who they know themselves to be in the eyes of God. 
And my desire for each of you this morning is that when you leave this place, that you would leave holding on to that same truth. That it doesn't matter what the world says about me. I know who I am because my identity, my value, and my worth is tied to my Jesus. So let's read this together. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's goods or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the use of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat at the king's food and be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all of the youths who ate of the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Father, we ask now your blessing upon this word. Help us to understand, help us to glean from it what we need to glean in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look back here in accordance with what we've read. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now pause there. Yes, Daniel is going to, we're going to see here, he lives a life of purpose. And really what that word resolved means, it means to, to set your heart above something. In the Hebrew, it's very descriptive. It means to take, it's as if you take your heart out and you set it on the top shelf. Why? Because down here, the world is raging. Because down here, the water is tumultuous. The storm is raging. And I don't want my heart to be tied to what's happening in the world. I want to set my heart above those things. I want to set, make sure that I'm not involved in what's the chaos of the world. I want my heart to be above all of that. That's what it means to resolve. Daniel and his friends, they resolved to not defile themselves. They wanted to set their hearts on the top shelf. Now, in the Hebrew culture, it's different than maybe what our culture is. When, when, when we speak of the heart in a poetic form, we kind of understand in our culture that we're speaking of the emotions. We're speaking of feelings. We're speaking of that part of us that, 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 part of us that, that aches when, when something happens, right? In the Hebrew culture, the heart was not reflective of the emotion, but it was reflective of the, of the intellect. It was reflective of the will. And so in essence, what Daniel, or what's being said of Daniel here is that he's taken his heart out, or literally, he set his mind above these things. I'm not going to get caught up in the chaos of Babylon. I'm going to set my heart above those things. I'm going to resolve to not be involved in any of that stuff. Daniel made up his mind literally is what this should say. 
He purposed in his mind to not defile himself. He was determined to live a pure life. To not allow those things to touch his lips. If you're taking notes again at home, you can follow along in the outline. The notes are there on the app. If you're watching or following along with us this morning, I want you to write this down. Daniel, secondly, as a part of his purposeful life, he lived a life of purity. He resolved to not defile himself with a portion of the king's food or wine. The word defile, it means to make ceremonially or ritually unclean. It means to be polluted by or contaminated by something. And what Daniel is saying here is like, he's saying, I want to make sure that I remain fit to bring worship to God. And if I participate in that food, I fear that I won't be fit to bring my worship to God. So I'm going to abstain from eating those food, uh, that food and drinking that drink. I will not allow myself to be defiled by the things of the world, by Babylon. Pause there for a moment. And I want you just to reflect upon your own heart just for a moment. What are those things in your life that you're participating in or flirting with that are defiling you and making you unfit to come into the presence of the Lord and to bring your worship? Because we all struggle with different things, right? None of us are without sin in here this morning. If you're without sin in here this morning, stand up so we can all look at you and think main and evil thoughts about you right, and pierce you with our eyes. There's not a single one of us who could stand up and say, I'm without sin in here this morning. Well, Daniel wasn't without sin either, but he's saying, I, I might not be able to control everything in my heart, but I can for sure control what I allow to touch my lips. I have control over that. I don't have to participate in those things. And I'm going to purpose in my heart, I'm resolved that I will not allow the world to defile me like that. I've got enough problems. Anyone say amen to that? I've got enough issues, right? And so here's Daniel. I, I don't want these things, right? This, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't belong in my lips. This isn't belong for, for, for me and my culture. This isn't right according to what I know to be true. So I'm going to abstain from these things. The author of Hebrews said this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Speaking of the hall of faith, all these amazing people of God who, who came before, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These people who died in faith, they were a part of the world. They were in the world, but they were not of the world. They understood that this world is not my home. This world cannot hold my heart. The word stranger, it can be translated in Greek, someone who's an alien, a foreigner, someone who really is different, strange, peculiar. And that should be an accurate description of those of you who call yourselves Christians here today. You shouldn't look like the rest of the world. When the rest of the world runs to flood, the floods of debauchery and sin and wickedness and detestableness, your life should look different. These people died in faith and they knew that, look, I'm just a stranger in this world and I might be here for a few moments, but this world doesn't own my heart. This isn't where my heart is fixed. They were citizens. They set their mind on things above where Christ was seated. That's where their focus and their attention was. Your life as a Christian should be peculiar to the lost people around you. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, you, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you have two options here. 
You're either going to be conformed to the world. Paul says, don't do that. You, when you take that word and you split it apart in its, its roots, the con means with and form means shape. So literally this word means, the word conform means to take the shape of. What Paul is saying is don't take the shape of the world. Don't look like the world. If you're looking like the world, there's something wrong with your faith. You cannot take on the shape of the world and call yourself a Christian. Do not be conformed with the world, but then he says, be transformed. Like something from within you bursting out of you. You see, the person who's conformed to the world is succumbing to the pressures from without. The peer pressure and all of that anxiety that it brings and everyone else is doing it. And this is just the way the world is. Well, not for you, Christian. Don't succumb to that pressure. You see, the, the, the one who conforms to the world is, is, again, they're bowing to the pressure from without. But the one who transforms is relying from the power from within. The Holy Spirit which is in you. Listen to what Peter says. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, beloved, I urge you, I'm begging you, he says, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. You're in a battle, Peter says, and I'm begging you. I'm begging you to live your life as an exile. Someone who's in exile is someone who is, is temporarily dwelling in a land that is not their permanent home. That's what should describe you and I as Christians. I'm living here temporarily, but this world is not my permanent home. I know where my permanent home is, and I need to be living for that place. When, when the children of Israel were brought in, or they were delivered, they were brought, or brought out of Egypt, and they're challenged to take the promised land. God is very clear, and he gives them a warning. And I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. I'll just read it. But he gives them this challenge in Exodus chapter 34. You can write it down and read it later so that you know I'm not lying to you. Exodus 34, beginning of verse 10, says this. And he said, behold, I'm making a covenant. Right? So this is the Lord speaking. He said, behold, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are, uh, shall see the work of the Lord... For it is an awesome thing that I will do in you. The people will watch. The people of the earth, the people of Canaan, the people of the world will watch what I'm going to do in your midst, you Hebrew people. And they will marvel that such amazing things are happening through your lives. This is what he says. Look at this. God goes on. He says, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out from before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Heatites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites. Take care. Be careful. Be on guard, pay attention, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Make sure you don't enter into any agreements with these people. This is what God says. I'm giving you the promised land. I'm going to drive these people out from before you. But make sure you do not enter into a promise or a covenant or an agreement with them. Why? Why would God say this? Why would God have this kind of a heart? He says this. He says, lest it become a snare to you. A snare is a trap, a baited trap that you might fall into. Verse 13 says this, and you shall tear down their altars. Break, break down those places where they worship. Break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord he, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Verse 15, lest 
you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you are invited and you eat of this sacrifice and you take their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. He's saying, listen, you're gonna become unfaithful. If you start making covenants and agreements in the land in which you're going, if you start marrying the peoples of Canaan, they're going to lead your heart astray. You forget about me. You forget who I am. This is why God says, make sure you keep yourself holy. You make sure you remain pure. You remain undefiled. Did God do this because he was racist? No. He's saying, if you want to live a life that pleases and honors and brings glory to me, then you cannot live like that. The Lord would say the same to us today as a church. If you want to live a life that is pleasing to me, that brings glory to me, you cannot live like Canaan. You cannot live like the Babylonians. You cannot live like the world. You've got to live different. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977